0: Dr. Andra Kapalu, known to her patients as Dr. A, is a cardio-oncologist and a cardiac imaging expert caring for her patients in Birmingham, Alabama. She is passionate about providing excellent care driven by her core values of active listening, empathy, and respect. Dr. A, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your expertise.
1: Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. I've been following you. I'm a follower of yours on LinkedIn. And I have been inspired by your posts that come from your heart. I can tell you're very genuine. And um, I, I, I was just so thrilled when, when we started talking about getting this organized. So I couldn't be happier to be here. Thank you.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much for those kind words. I am so excited to learn more about what you do and, and for people to really understand. So tell us first, did you always wanna be a doctor? And then also tell us, how did you get into this specialty?
1: Absolutely. Um, first of all, a uh, quick thing about me is I was born and raised in Greece, in Athens. And I moved to the US in 2009 when I was 22 years old. And I've been here ever since. I completed my last year of med school here, and then I stayed here for medical training in residency, fellowship, and then some more. Um, so wait, you went
0: from Greece to Alabama? No,
1: it gets better. I went from Greece to Baltimore. Okay. <laughs> no not not quite alabama but baltimore <laughs> and uh from baltimore i then um moved to philadelphia where i did my internal medicine training then i came to birmingham the first time around where i did my cardiology training then i went to boston where i did some more training in cardiovascular imaging and then i came back and then i was done with training because that was not training <laughs> And, and, then, yeah, and then I came back to Birmingham in 2019, and I've been faculty uh, and a doctor and an attending uh, with the uh, University of Alabama at Birmingham since 2019. That's very recent. Yes. three years. Yeah, yeah. What brought you to UAB? Uh, first of all, the people, I have to say. I am a people's person. Uh, I think the most important thing is our relationships, uh, be that at work, in personal life. Um, they, they, shape, uh, they, they shape our lives, honestly. So the number one thing with UAB is the people and the culture. Um, we, we really see our patients, we treat our patients as if they're our family members. We treat them, the, whenever I don't know what to do with a patient, I always ask myself, what would I want my, my dad to, to have done? Uh, or myself, or h- how do I want my family members to be treated? And then I and then I get the answer. Um, So that was the number one thing that brought me here. Uh, And then obviously, because this was my second time around, I did know people. I had friends here. uh, I had my my community here. So that was it was easy for me to make this decision when I moved back to Birmingham the second time around.
0: Got it. And did you always want to be a doctor? I.
1: No. Uh, I went through lots of different things. The thing that I loved the most when I was little was math. Uh, and uh, math really taught me because it it, it taught me how to think mm-hmm. in a structured way without getting lost. Um, and... And for, for a little while, I thought I wanted to be an electrical engineer or something that would be very math heavy. But, uh, but then I talked to one of our family friends. Uh, I don't come from a family of physicians, so I didn't really have anyone in my close environment to influence my decision. But I did at some point talk to one of our um, family friends who, who's a surgeon. I didn't, We didn't really get to spend a whole lot of time with him. But he started telling me about his work. Uh, and how he's connecting with his patients and how he, like, he, he was a very good storyteller, I think, because <laughs> uh, he sold it very well to me. <laughs> I think he would have been a great salesperson. Um, so once I heard, and then I actually wanted to be a surgeon uh, because of, of the way he was painting it out to be. Um, I did. uh, And and all through my med school, I wanted to be a surgeon. Uh, And then when I came to Baltimore, I also did uh, research in surgery. And during those two years of research, uh, I took the time to step back and really ask myself what I would like to do long term. And I realized and that's when I realized that I wanted to do cardiology. And why? Why cardiology? I think it comes down to my lab for math math and algorithms because cardiology, our practice is very algorithm driven and guidelines driven. We go, but we have guidelines. We love guidelines. We have guidelines for everything. <laughs> <laughs> we have guidelines for everything. You, I mean, passing out, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease, strokes, heart failure, cardio-oncology. We, we have guidelines for everything. So... <laughs> Um, It it clicked in my head that, okay, there's a stepwise fashion in the things that I will have to do here. There's obviously an art, but there's a lot of of science uh, and algorithms behind our everyday practice in cardiology. Um, And then the other thing, that's number one. And then number two, when I went into cardiology, the thing that made me stay is um, the flexibility that it offers in terms of lifestyle. Uh, we can make our lifestyle as busy or less busy as we want to. And there's lots think of different... I do that. That's interesting. Yes. And that holds true for quite a few different fields of medicine, I feel like. This is what I, I tell my mentees uh, when they're not really sure what to go into. Uh, it's always good to, uh, to me at least, it makes sense in my mind. Uh, if you're not 100% sure what you want your life to be like when you're 50, and you have to make the decision when you're 25, um, it's 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 not bad to enter somewhere that offers you different paths and different lifestyles because um, you can always change things around um, later on, further down the line, if you get tired or if you have different priorities in your life, it makes things easier for you to adjust.
0: I'm curious, so what, in your opinion, does not allow for a flexible lifestyle like which specialty I'm curious uh,
1: I don't know all specialties but um, uh, let me speak in terms of cardiology in cardiology for instance there's the reason why I did not become an interventional cardiologist uh those are our colleagues who place stents and balloons and open up um uh, blocked vessels heart vessels when when people have heart attacks uh, and they come into the hospital with a heart attack, and we rush them to, to the operating room for them to get a stent or a, or a balloon inside their heart vessel. Those are our colleagues who do that. And this is much more procedure heavy um, and less predictable in terms of if, if we're on call for this. We could get called at 3 a.m. and we have to be in the hospital within a certain period of time because of our guidelines. Uh, So we have to be we have to. So we call this door to door to needle or door door to balloon times, which means the clock starts ticking the minute the person comes to the hospital. That's so interesting. I didn't. And know we that. have to yes, and we have to open their their blocked vessel within thirty minutes or ninety minutes, depending on the procedure that we'll choose to do. And so, if so and obviously, we can't we can't ask our patients to not have heart attacks <laughs> when we're asleep. I'd, I'd appreciate if you if you stayed if you stayed nice and quiet tonight, okay? Um. So so yeah.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So. What do you do that is different? How do you work
1: with patients? Um, so uh, I'll break it down uh, for you in two things. The, th- the way I spend my time at work is twofold. Number one is, has to do with my sp- uh, specialization in cardiac imaging. And so I, I do a lot of ultrasounds of the heart. I interpret them and supervise them. I interpret and supervise lots of different types of stress tests. Um, uh, uh, cardiac MRIs mm-hmm. and also the invasive type of ultrasounds of the heart. Um, uh, those are called TEEs uh, and this is um, more involved. We do them under very light sedation people are still able to breathe on their own, but we want it to be painless. Um, and we use a, a tube ca- kind of like um. Uh, a scope, a uh, a stomach scope, when people get their stomach scopes. And um, under light sedation, we pass them uh, through the food pipe, through the esophagus, and we take pictures of the heart. I do that. So that's one aspect of what I do. The other aspect of what I do is I see patients in my clinic. Um, And uh, this uh, this is patients who have any type of heart disease, but I also specialize in cardio-oncology, and uh, this is um, an up-and-coming field of cardiology. It's been been around for for a little while now, but it's vastly expanding as we start learning more about the intersection of of heart disease with cancer, Um, and as we're trying to to understand and personalize management of our cancer patients. um, and that's the other part of what I do. This is how I sp- I spend my time.
0: So tell us a little bit more about interacting with people who have cancer. What it what does that look like?
1: Yes. Um, so again, as I said, the 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 field is called cardio oncology, and it's just a fancy way to say it's the intersection of heart disease and cancer. So what we are starting, what we are seeing, is that patients who have ca- people who have cancer. Survive and that's great because cancer treatments get better every day, we learn more. Hopefully, at some point we'll have vaccines to keep us from even getting cancers. Um, so people, both adults and children, um, survive, and that's great. What's I hear the butt coming? (laughs) I hear a big (laughs) butt. What's not so great is that it does come at a survival does come at a cost. And the one of the most dreadful um, uh, side effects is heart disease that can can be the result of um, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, um, yes, immunotherapy, which are new types of therapies that are now being used in different types of cancers uh and by heart disease i'm using the ter- the the word heart disease but i mean anything from high blood pressure um high cholesterol um it's heart uh, damage heart it's damage, damage like heart attacks like blocked arteries in the heart uh strokes um heart failure is a big one uh heart failure is actually the the biggest our biggest concern Uh, And even with newer agents, we're starting to see uh, episodes of inflammation of the heart muscle that can be so bad to either cause a lot of um, life-threatening heart rhythms or heart attacks or heart failure that's much more accelerated and happens much faster than what we would typically think about heart failure. Oh, it takes years for this to happen. It can actually be very, very expedited. Um, so we, we, we learn more. And the, the other one that I wanted to mention is uh, atrial fibrillation, uh, AFib. Uh, a lot of our, our, uh, viewers or, uh, listeners may, may have heard or may have someone, they know of someone who has AFib. Uh, this could also be a side effect of, of chemotherapy. And what does that mean for people who don't know? For those who don't know atrial fibrillation or AFib is a type of irregular heart rhythm that doesn't kill people is what I tell my patients. So AFib is not something that kills us, but it does come with a higher than usual risk of stroke. Sure. And and what that means is for us to, to lower that risk and keep our, our patients from getting strokes as a result of AFib, we have to make sure that they're on certain types of strong blood thinners, not just aspirin. Okay. Um, and a- again, every medication is helpful, but it comes with different types of side effects. Blood thinners are are great because they keep us from getting strokes, but they are going to do what the name says. They are going to thin out our blood. And this could put us at risk of of bleeding much, much more easily. And it's it's, it's not fine, but it's one thing if we just scratch our skin and it takes a little while for the bleeding to go away. But then there's other more serious and, um, and scary type of, of bleedings, like bleeding in our brain, bleeding in our stomach, um, which, which we definitely don't want to happen.
0: What percentage of your patients, your cancer patients, are not currently diagnosed, but they're long-term survivors? Because what I hear a lot from survivors, especially if they had cancer when they were a child or a teenager... In the 80s and 90s they didn't really know the long-term side effects of many of those treatments whether it was chemotherapy or radiation no. And so how many of those um, what percentage are those types of patients they're survivors yeah cancers long gone but they have these um, yeah. permanent yeah. damage.
1: What we do know is that if if you' if you have survived cancer and you're over 50 years old, and you're a man, there's a 50% chance you'll get heart disease. What? Yes. As a result of your chemotherapy or radiation treatment. Oh if you're a woman and you're over 50 and you've survived cancer, there's a 40% chance. Wow. Yes. That it, is so high. It is. It is. Yes. It's very high. And um, if you're, with respect to children, you um, I can I can see I, last I I checked I couldn't find certain percentages but I do know that it for children that survive cancer they are always as adults even if they even if they don't ever develop any other type of disease in their lives they're at seven times higher risk of dying from heart disease and they're at 15 times higher risk of getting heart failure at some point in in their adult life, even if they do everything right, even if they wow. eat well, they exercise, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't do drugs or other substances. Um, they don't work at, because there's also our jobs can affect what we, what we breathe, what we breathe, the type of air that we breathe and our environment. So even if everything else is great, um, yeah, there's always, always the risk, always a seven to 15 times higher risk. So I can see why this
0: field is growing because more and more people are surviving cancer. But like you said, there are these side effects to to these treatments, even even the immunotherapies. Yes, yes. What has been to date your
1: worst moment as a physician? Oh, um, I would have to say, I mean, it's going, going to get a little bleak, so I apologize. No, um, but I would have to say it was the first time one of the patients that I was caring for passed. Uh, I still remember this day very, very vividly. I was—it was during training. I was in my second year of training. Uh, it was the first my my first month uh, on the oncology service, actually. In my second year of training, and I was an upper resident. I wasn't a first-year resident. I wasn't a, like a junior uh, resident. I was, uh, I was a supervising resident. and I was supervising two of our first-year residents, and um, I remember walking into work, and I was I was not expecting that patient of ours to to pass, and I was I was going through our patient list and checking everything before before pre rounds. And I remember that I didn't see his name on our list. And then I thought to myself, oh, that's odd. So I text, I remember texting my other two, excuse me, first year residents, just to check. Right. And um, and, and then they told me what ha- what had happened overnight. He had to go to the ICU and everything happened very quick. And he passed. And I remember I was... Uh, I still, I mean, I still, I I can still feel the feelings that I had that day. And that was back in 2012, 10 years ago. I was, I don't even think I would call it shock. It was, it was just, you know, when you're, when, when time stops for a little bit and you don't really, you don't, you have to process, like I, I have to process what I had just heard. Um, uh, yeah, I, uh, that was my hardest, uh, that was my heart. It's hard to put in words. Um, even my feelings now, it's hard to put them in words. It's, it's more than shock. It's just shock and also a humbleness. Cause, um, I realized that I, I can't, I can't do everything. Right. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, you can't.
1: Yeah, yeah. I realize that we. Yeah, I can't do everything.
0: Did medical school prepare you to go through that experience, knowing that some of your patients will die, and also did medical school prepare you to have that conversation if you needed to with patients?
1: Um, I will say, <laughs> sadly, not. Um. We know in theory. Obviously, we know in theory that yes, uh, death is is one possible outcome. Um, but no, we did not have, and I'm sure things are now changing. Um, uh, but we did not have classes that would prepare us for simulations, for instance. Uh, oh, like this is this is what could happen. Uh, right. Let's let's now see how you guys will have to deal with this, um, both with the obviously first and foremost with the families of our patients, um, but also with ourselves and our team. Yeah, um, to know how to how to use these experiences as uh, growth opportunities for us, as people, like I said, as um, opportunities to realize that. We can't do everything. We're not perfect. Uh, medicine is far from being perfect. Uh, there's most of the things we don't know. Um, yeah, and as we learn more, the more we realize there's there's so much more that we don't know. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it would be nice in general to to treat these to have gotten some more formal and structured training on how to use these experiences as opportunities for growth. And then with respect to um, communicating to families, we do get training on on that, which is good. good But um, I have to say, training is very, very different from real life. Uh, Because when you're training, you know that it's training. right? Uh, And you know that this is a simulation mannequin. Uh, right. it's, it's yeah. Um, it's not someone that you have connected with, you've cared for, you've talked to them the previous day, you've told them everything's going, to everything looks great, your labs look great, or they don't look great. Right. Um, it's it's very very different when it's actually happening in real life, uh, and and when um, you know the family, or even if you don't know the family, you you know that you know that um, they would want everything to be done or not. In in either case, it's it's different when you've connected to people Um, because we're humans too. We're not, uh, thankful we're not robots we're not machines
0: there are a few there are a few <laughs> that you wonder every now and then like is there, is there yeah. a heart
1: inside of that person yeah. <laughs> yeah like if i if i knock on his chest this is gonna be thin um but um uh yeah it's 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 different when it's um uh when it's when it's real life because again we're humans and um, we're, we're also imperfect. We're far from being perfect. And we could be hard on ourselves. We could be hard on our teams. Um, so, yeah. And God God knows what a doctor may be going through in their personal lives as well. Who knows? Right. Who knows if they have another family member next door who may be sick with something else. Or if they're sick themselves. Um, yeah, it gets very complicated. I've done I've started uh, the the past couple of years I've started uh digging deeper into uh psychology and leadership but leadership from the relationship standpoint right. just to understand what drives people behave the way they do and act the way they do and I wish that that's something that's missing from med school training even to this day this type of of uh something that we could maybe adapt from Business schools, uh, the kind of leadership training um, that n- not not management. We we right. are not 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 to train managers, but to train to train individuals who um, um, who who will learn to connect with others among the team and with others outside of the team.
0: I feel like you see a touch of it. At certain conferences. Yes. These educational opportunities, but they yeah. are for doctors who are already practicing physicians. That's a little late. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's hard to change for it anyone is. when you're sort of set in your ways. Yeah. Well, let's shift gears.
1: What has been the best moment so far
0: as a physician?
1: Uh, so, I mean, the best moment so far is when I managed to get patients off of medications. <laughs> wow
0: i am so happy to hear that yes, yes I'm i am to, okay, it does, so to talk
1: to us about that <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't happen very frequently <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah when i manage to get patients off of medications this usually happens to um not to my cardi oncology patients uh, but it happens to, I can, I can share two things. So maybe let's talk about the non-cardi-oncology patients. So, um, for our cardi oncology patients who may very well develop high blood pressure or high cholesterol, uh, and, um, we're going to treat them because that can also place them at higher risk for getting heart disease, like heart failure or heart attacks in the, in the future. So we want to get on that nice and early, um. Uh, First things first is we always make sure that our cancer patients know that um, what a healthy, a heart-healthy lifestyle means, uh, and which has to do with uh, their diet, their Mediterranean diet, um, or DASH, D-A-S-H. Oh, well, I uh-huh. haven't heard
0: it called that. What's that acronym stand for? Uh,
1: it's essentially a kind of it's Mediterranean diet is what it is. Um, but it's what we endorse with our American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association. It's Mediterranean type of diet, but there's so, so, so many free resources out there on DASH diet um, and, uh, and exercise, which I always tell my patients, the, 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 the least, the minimum that your heart needs to stay healthy is 30 minutes of decent-paced walking five days a week. If you do that, you're good to go. yeah um, and I did have I'm gonna say less than a handful of patients, uh, but they exist um, who started started changing their lifestyles and were also put on medications because we don't want their blood pressure or cholesterol to run high, run high. Um, but after a few months, as they started losing weight and getting healthier, their numbers started getting better, and we were slowly able to gradually take them off of medications. Um, and that's, that's uh, yeah, that is that yes, that's such a win, um, that's a huge win. And then the other thing that I do want to make sure that is is said um, is that I did talk about um, the the risk of getting heart failure. Um, after someone has their chemo or radiation right. treatment. And that's a very real risk. But now we do have great medications that once started early um, can help the, the heart muscle recover. Uh, really? Oh, yes. yeah. Yes. And I've actually have, uh, have patients, not a few, quite a few, um, who started the, their heart failure medications we adjusted the dose and the frequency uh, to safe levels as much as they can safely take. And, um, and a few, a few weeks later we started noticing that their heart function was getting better. Um, And I've had patients who started off with their heart function being very, very weak and got back to normal, which is great. Which is great. Yes. Yes. We still continue the medications, um, because we don't have good good research to tell us what happens if we stop these medicines. Uh, sometimes the heart, heart, the heart weakness, the heart failure is essentially weakness of the heart muscle. So the weakness may come back, sometimes it may not. We don't have a good way to predict when it's going to come back. So if safe, um, we try to keep those medications on. But they do, but it's not a death sentence. Uh, finding out that you have heart disease, like heart failure after you've had your chemo, is not a death sentence. Um, There's medications that can help the heart muscle get strong again.
0: Oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah. Really. Is there a patient who has had a very big impact on you in whatever way that might be?
1: Yes. uh, There there is one patient of mine. um, She... She was, uh, she is a cardio-oncology patient. Uh, she had breast cancer, a- actually uh, 12 years back. And she was on a medication that's very, very well known and described to cause heart failure. Um, for her treatment of her cancer. Yes, for treatment of her cancer. Uh, so she su- she survived her cancer, but she was left with heart failure as a result of of that um and we do have her on medication she's doing great she's living she's living her life um she's she's active she's hiking with her family she's biking she goes to the beach she takes her medications and she's fine she doesn't need to get hospitalized um but uh what what struck me and moved me the most with her was her attitude towards life um And how she, uh, she's a a fighter. That's what I call, I I always tell her that, that you're a fighter, you're you're a fighter. Um, Because even through the difficult times, uh, I remember when I first talked to her and started explaining to her about her weakness of her heart muscle, um, obviously obviously very reasonable, she started becoming emotional, um, which is fine. Uh, it's understandable and um, but at the end of our of our visit she she was back on it she she said you know what doctor you you tell me what I need to do and I'll do it you know I, I beat cancer I'm sure I can I can take care of, of this
0: Doctor A what is one thing that you wish you had known on that very
1: very first day of medical school Um, the thing that I wish I had known is, I will explain, but is that life is not your work and work is not your life, that it's very important that for us to be able to care for our patients and be there for our patients, uh, we also have to, um, we also have to learn how to take care of ourselves as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I'm not saying compromise uh, our time with our patients or our, our time at work. Um, but what I'm saying is, um, I just can't stand people in general, not just doctors, but just people in general who you can see are not happy where they are something's go- something's going on
0: and that's you have a lot not- of
1: people <laughs> yeah. i don't want to be yeah. pessimistic but that's a lot of people yes that was me yeah. the last four years i lived in los angeles yes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 uh and it's one thing if you're working from home or sitting behind a desk that's fine totally fine not fine but okay i guess um but when you care for patients and we don't just care for patients, we also care for our patients' families. Of it's not everyone is involved. Um, again, I understand we're humans. Some days are going to be better than others, but there should be a bare minimum level of self-care that we do that will allow us to be present for our patients and their families. If that means... We need to cut down on one thing to allow us to be 100% there for this other thing without, with respect to our patients. We may need to do that. Um, yes. yes. Just priorities is what I would say. Like learn how to set your priorities. Yes. Yes. So
0: people.
1: Yes. Learn how everything. to set your priorities. If your priority is to take excellent care of patients, then, we, we will have to build our lives and our works in such a way that will allow us to do that. Yeah, I agree. I totally if our agree. priority is to, I don't know, do something else, then we would have to adjust accordingly. And priorities can change. Um, of course. Yeah, priorities can change. That's totally fine. As long as we're mindful about how we spend our times and how we distribute our time. Uh, to allow us to do what what our core value is, be that be that uncompromised care, excellent care, be that connecting with our patients, listening to our patients, showing empathy. Um, I would say to learn how to set your priorities and uh, distribute your time in a way that will allow you to live your values and priorities.
0: That's such great advice. I hate it when people say they're busy. It's like, we're all busy. It truly is about priorities. I don't know what else to say to you. Yes, I okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And? (laughs) Yeah, and,
0: right? Yes, and we are. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So this is my favorite question to ask providers, hands down, because the answers are always so interesting. If you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the US, what would it
1: be and why? I would make it transparent. That's a very easy one for me. I would make it transparent. So what do um, you mean by that? I would make the cost of care very transparent. Uh, I'm going to get very practical here. Uh, a little bit of my MBA is going to come in. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, yeah. I'm going to make it very practical here because I'm. this is something that over the past couple of weeks, I, I started seeing a lot in my patients. Um, and my cardio oncology patients, I'm going to use an example, and you'll you'll understand what I'm talking about. Um, so, as I was saying, uh, uh, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, immunotherapy, cancer treatment in general may cause uh, heart failure further down the line. Right. That's the bad news. The good news is that, as I said, we do have very good medications that are proven on hundreds of thousands of patients to improve the, the, the function of the heart muscle and help recover from heart failure, which is great. The problem is uh, some of them, the, the, the two ones that are shown to have the biggest benefit are the ones that tend to be the most expensive for our patients to afford. And that's different depending on which state we are. My experience is based on Alabama. Um, There's nothing worse than hitting a roadblock or than having our patients, our our, uh, cardio-oncology patients, not being able to take their medications, not because they don't want to, not because they're forgetful, not because they're being lazy or bad patients. By the way, I don't believe in The existence of bad patients i believe there's a break in communication between the doctor and the patient something we are not explaining right because why wouldn't anyone want to take care of themselves but uh that's not the reason the reason is that legitimately they cannot afford they it's either food on the table or five hundred dollars a month for a month's worth of a heart of one heart medication and here i'm talking about two I I've actually had a patient which is very sad recently come to clinic uh, uh because he he had um he had leukemia in the past and now he has heart failure and he came into clinic very short of breath he was he he was not looking good and turns out he could not afford for these medicines and so that's what i mean by transparency is um I don't know, and that's shameful on behalf of the entire system. I don't know when I prescribe a medication. It's not the the information related to the cost of medicine for for each patient because it changes based on location, insurance, co-pays, pharmacy. Uh, I don't know what the cost is. And even if I did know it's not i i can't change the cost right uh so that's one thing that i would change is number one transparency because i feel like once things become very transparent oh this is how much it costs in the other state in where in alabama this is how much it actually costs in georgia uh and depending on where you live <laughs> maybe it's closer to drive to georgia to get it um but I feel like if things were transparent from a cost standpoint, uh, that would drive change to bring cost down. But we just don't know. Right. We don't, we don't know. So I I feel like cost is is one is one of the elephants. There's lots of elephants in the room. But cost, the cost of healthcare in the US and the lack of transparency of, of the cost is, is a big one that keeps our patients from being able to, to take good care of themselves.
0: I agree. I, I was just at a health policy conference, which is not the typical conference I would attend, but the most interesting takeaway I got from that entire conference was that now often the cash price for a procedure is cheaper than what your insurance negotiated. So even if you have insurance and you think your insurance is great, you should, if it's a procedure or a scan, a test, you should ask what the cash price is because it might be cheaper, especially if you have a high deductible, which I do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yes. Yes. Or, um, and it's crazy, both from a heart disease standpoint, uh, the cost of medications related to it, but also... That's another thing that, I mean, I may be a cardiologist, cardio-oncologist, but I, I mean, I, we, we take care of our patients, not this part, like we take care of our patients, uh, of people. Um, especially how expensive it is for mental health, uh, which anxiety and depression goes hand in hand with both heart disease and cancer. Uh, and imagine, I can't even imagine having survived cancer Only to get heart failure later. How that would challenge my mental stability and emotional stability. Um, And it's yet, it's so expensive uh, to number one, to afford for heart medications. Number two, to afford for mental health uh, management. And even with all the
0: mental health, I don't want to say apps, but companies out there where you have access to a therapist Immediately, and you don't have to go into an office.
1: It's still very expensive. It is. It's really it is. expensive. It is. It is so, very.
0: Expensive. While it might be convenient, it's not any cheaper.
1: No, no, it's no, it certainly isn't. It, it's still very expensive. Th- definitely not cheap. Um, if if we're considering s- doing serious work, and not just talking to a therapist once every three months, right. or four months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But if it's done right, if if, if if it needs to be done right, then it gets very expensive. Yeah. Wow. Well, I know we're running short
0: on time, so are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire? I am.
1: I mean, I'm not, but I- mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I have to stop laughing. <laughs> that was a very honest
0: answer. I love it. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm not, but yeah. All right. Sure. Here we go. Beach. Desert or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Rolling Stones. Ooh, that surprised <laughs> me. I love it. What is one word that best describes you?
1: Resilient. And
0: before you die, what is the last song you want to hear?
1: Oh, um, it's uh, it's the first song that I remember. That I remember learning the lyrics, like the first song that I remember singing. Uh, my first, um, my, my, yeah, I guess my first memory of a song. It's a Greek song. Um, it's it's a Greek song, but the lyrics are uh, are taken from a poem. And because it's very poetic, when I was little, I did not understand the lyrics. I knew the words, right? Uh, but I did not understand the lyrics. And it's my mom would sing that song to me when I was little because she loved it, uh, and then that was the first my first memory of a song. But it has to do with um, uh, the the lyric that I remember. Uh, it's really hard um, for the sun for for the sun to move to move. It means meaning to move around the earth. Mm-hmm. They were. Obviously, that's not scientifically right, but that's kind of like what the song was saying. Um, and it said it takes lots of people to move the sun. It's really hard. Um, and uh, yeah, that, back then when I was little, I like in my head, because I didn't know what this I, I didn't know. What is it in Greek? What's the line in Greek? Oh, that's
0: so beautiful. So yeah.
1: Melodic. Yeah. I don't think I knew Greek was that melodic. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in my, I, I remember in my five-year-old head, I pictured, I literally pictured that this is what happens with the sun. There's <laughs> a bunch of people that push, push the sun <laughs> and I guess it's, it must be tough.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What about the last meal you want to eat? I'm going to have to go with a Greek traditional made from scratch, um, Spanakopita, which is the spinach and feta cheese, Greek pie, the savory pie with a phyllo dough. Um, that's what I, but that was my, the toughest one that I, I think a close second, because maybe people wouldn't know how to make it, a close second would be pizza. <laughs> I mean, all the way. Do you like Empanadas uh i do yes yeah
0: they're doughy and if they're right yeah
1: anything with anything with dough that's filled with savory stuff i don't even care what what the filling (laughs) is as long as it's savory i'll have it yes what about the last person or people you want to see uh oh i i'd say my family uh my parents and my brother yeah and the last words you will speak um the last words. I I won't think I the first thing that that came to my mind is we made it. That was it.
0: <laughs> I like it. All right. <laughs> and aside from Cancer You, what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And please tell people how they can get in touch with you.
1: Yes. Um one one research that I would recommend again, I'm a I'm a cardiologist, so uh, bear with me. Uh, but I would definitely uh, recommend checking out the American Heart Association uh, dot O-R-G, um, and consider um, th- there's there's um, we call them chapters. So there's American Heart Association chapters in every state, uh, and honestly, in every single one of de- definitely every single one of the big cities we'll have a chapter. Uh, we have them here in Birmingham, Atlanta, um, uh, Louisville, any, any, anywhere you are, you can find your American Heart Association chapter. Uh, we're very big with patient ad- advocacy and including patients uh, and families and people, honestly, who uh, who want to live healthy lives. So American Heart Association. And how can people get in touch with you? Uh, the best way for someone to reach me would be uh, through my email, uh, my work email, my professional one, which is E, and then all of my last name, E andrikopoulou Don't be scared. It's, <laughs> it's easier than what it sounds. Uh, at UAB, as in boy, M as in Mary, C as in cat, dot edu.
0: All right. Well. And I'm
1: happy to connect with anyone. And I'm, I'm very passionate about, Um, heart disease, cancer, how we can beat those, how we can help our our people live their healthiest lives. So I would be so, so happy to connect with anyone who would like to connect.
0: Well, we will be sure to put that in the workshop, in the show notes, and you will not have to guess how Dr. A's last name is spelled because there will be a direct link to her email there. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your expertise in this area.
1: Thank you. It was such a pleasure. I had such a great time. Andrea, you're a great host. Thank Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers Podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website cancer.university. That's cancer.university and hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast, real people, true stories.